In the last 50 years, China has lifted more people out of poverty than anywhere else in human history. Chinese society has been transformed, and so too has the economy. Indeed, it's now second only to the United States with a GDP of 18 trillion US dollars. China has a newfound confidence and it's asserting itself in ways uncomfortable to the West. The sleeping dragon has awoken. But what will that mean for the future? I'm Bill Cruz and you're listening to The Discussion. Dr Keith Souter specialises in international affairs. He's a member of the Club of Rome and the United Nations Association of Australia. And he has a particular interest in China. Keith Souter, how does China see itself today? China sees itself as returning to its former days of glory. So for the last few centuries, it has been uh, riven by um, warlords, colonised by some of the Western nations like Great Britain. But prior to that time, prior to about, say, 400 years ago, one third of global economic output came from China. And so China is simply going back to where it was 400 years ago. So does China's historical relationship with colonial powers shape its current worldview? Yes, it does. I think that China is obviously very concerned about its history, about the way it was plunged into chaos. And so it is wanting to make sure that people take the country seriously and that um, it has great influence in the world. It's not seeing itself as an imperial power. This is not a rerun of creating the British Empire, for example. The Chinese have virtually got no bases overseas. Uh, What they are seeking to do, though, is to get their place in the sun and to be respected for the work that they're doing. Does China remain suspicious of the West today? Yes, China is very suspicious because it feels that it's being hemmed in by Western countries and their Asian allies. If you stand in Beijing and look at the world around you, you've got countries that don't like you. That's like Japan, Vietnam, further south, of course, Australia. Um, And so the Chinese have a, a streak of paranoia because they think the rest of the world is ganging up against them. I'm talking with international affairs analyst Keith Souter. Keith, will China eclipse the USA as the world's largest economic and military power? It's now China's policy to be the world's number one country by the year 2049, which will be the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Revolution. And so China is expecting to be number one. But it's going to operate differently from the United States. It's not going to be so quite so imperial-minded, but it does need to be treated with respect. So how great will China's influence become? I think China will become increasingly influential. The problem is that China has got a number of internal problems which may well hinder its movement towards number one power status. Number one is simply that it's now beginning to run out of people. Um, The Chinese are going the same way of Japan. They've got a lot of people who will live for a long time, but they're not getting many children coming through. China is no longer the world's most populous country. That title goes to India. And by the end of this century, there'll be more people living in Africa than India and China combined. So it's beginning to run out of people. It's got major economic issues, such as the housing bubble burst. In China, you can't invest in stocks and shares in the way that we do 
So you tend to buy property, and there are all sorts of property bubbles across China. So it has a very fragile real estate economy. It also has a very fragile banking system. And most recently, uh, China has engaged with the United States in a chip war. In other words, the fundamental components for computers, these microchips, um, the United States has said that it will no longer be assisting China in the development of its own microchips. And the country which is most responsible for the really sophisticated top-end chips is Taiwan, which may be a reason why China would want to invade Taiwan, except that if it were to invade, it would end up destroying the global chip industry, which will, of course, affect us as well as in China. So China has a number of internal problems that it's got to sort out. It's not going to be an automatic movement to number one by the year 2049. I I get the feeling as you're talking, you've got a rather benign view of China. That's not the West's view, is it? Oh, the West is divided as to how you look at China. I'm a little in the middle. On the one side, you've got people who are saying that China is this big global threat to international politics, international peace and security, like the NATO Secretary General, who wants to expand NATO into Asia, not only taking on Russia in Europe, but also taking on China in Asia. That's one school of thought, that China is an aggressive country. Another school of thought, particularly amongst financial interests, is that China could be of great assistance to your own economic endeavor. We've certainly found that in Australia. We didn't have a global financial crisis in Australia in 2008 because we were kept afloat because the Chinese kept themselves afloat. So you've got another example at the other end of the spectrum of saying we have to keep on good terms with China to guarantee good economic growth. I'm somewhat in the middle. I'm wary about what the Chinese might be about. I'm also very wary of human fallibility and the fact that you can end up with people making mistakes and that we end up sliding towards war. So that, that so I'm a little a bit in the middle. I'm very wary about the rise of China or the return of China to global politics, um, but I do see some value in China returning to its former days of glory. Other nations might not like it, but does it matter whether or not China is respected? Yes, it is. It's very important because China is just so important for the global economy, and therefore we need to take China very seriously indeed. Now, China is increasingly asserting itself in the South China Sea and over Taiwan. Why are territorial ambitions so important to the Chinese government? The Chinese want to have a very secure perimeter. Um, Like all countries, they get worried about the risk of invasion and particularly going through the South China Sea, which is very important because that's where the majority of its... um, goods arrive and leave. They go through that South China Sea. And they're just simply fostering um, an old policy well before the communists came to power of seeing the territories to the south controlled by China. And President Xi wants to make sure that nobody can accuse him of not doing enough to protect Chinese interests. That's why they're moving into the South China Sea, but they are being challenged by another a number of other countries Um, such as the Philippines, Vietnam, who can see the South China Sea as being important for their fishery resources, for navigation, and perhaps for other minerals down on the seabed. We're able to start mining the seabed, and there's a lot of gold and silver down on the seabed. So there's a lot of money to be made in controlling 
the South China Seas. So there is a scramble for those seas, and China is just one of the countries trying to get their hands on the resources in the water and the seabed. Now, the West would like to contain China, but is that a practical or even a realistic notion? It's going to be very difficult to contain China. The idea is that you encircle China with a military alliance. You know, some people talk about the uh, the Quad, which are the four countries, United States, Australia, India and Japan. Uh, India is um, hostile towards China, but friendly towards Russia. So I'm not sure it's a reliable partner for this military exercise. And you've got other countries that are also very wary of the return of power to China, such as the the Philippines. Um, So it's going to be very difficult to contain China. International affairs analyst Keith Souter is with me. Keith, how important is President Xi to China in the next 20 years? President Xi is very important because he's um, decided, in effect, to become president for life. So after the death of Chairman Mao in 1976 and the political upheavals at that time, it was decided that in future leadership would go on a five-year cycle, perhaps up to a total of 10 years, and they would then start to plan replacements well in advance. It's a well-organized election system. Voting and democracy really don't count in China. Um, but, but President Xi has been able to extend his time in office in a way that's now unlimited. So, yes, he could be around, depending on his health, for another 20 years. Um, he obviously sees himself as being particularly important for guiding China's future. There are other people who remember the bad old days of Mao Zedong, who stayed around for far longer than he should have done. And so there are some people who'd be apprehensive about the power that President Xi is maintaining for himself. And how important are the Chinese people? I mean, is there an unspoken pact whereby they support their leaders so long as their economic well-being continues to grow? Yes, there is a social contract in effect. So what happens is that as long as you're a leader and you can feed your own people, you are safe. But if you fail to be able to feed your people, to be able to maintain order in your country, the people have a right to rebel. We tend to focus on freedom, and the Americans take that to an extreme example with the right to own guns, etc. But in China, they put emphasis on control, and so they therefore have all sorts of systems in place, including a social credit system, whereby they monitor everything that you buy, and they can tell whether or not you're leading a good life. If they've decided you're spending too much time uh, watching pornography and gambling, etc., then you'll uh, get reduced social credit and you will not be able to buy a ticket on the railway to go to your ancestral village in August to put uh, flowers on the graves of your ancestors. This is how controlled the society is in China. But they put up with it because they value order and they know in their own history that when there is no order, there is chaos, and therefore there is suffering. And so these are people who prefer to have order. But it's the job of President Xi to make sure that he maintains that order. If not, then he could be overthrown. So, mate, is Xi replaceable? Oh, everybody is replaceable, Bill. Um, And so, yes, who will replace him, though, we don't know. And, And in a dictatorship, dictators make sure there's no obvious successor in case the successor becomes a little impatient to take over. So um, Chi is not 
um, grooming anyone to take over from him because he expects to be around for quite a while yet. So looking into your crystal ball, Keith, what might the upcoming China century look like? I think that it'll be a time um, perhaps of greater chaos um, in the world affairs. We've had the Americans maintaining order from 1945 on until today, and they've had all sorts of problems. Um, I think the Chinese will obviously seek to maintain some stability in international politics. I don't think they will be as heavy-handed and as interventionist as the Americans. Therefore, I think that some conflicts will get underway, which the Chinese will not get involved in, and the Americans will not be able to get involved in either. So I think it's going to be a fairly bumpy few decades ahead of us. Keith Suda, thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Bill. (laughs) 